Chapter Number Thirty Seven of Molly's Prince. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Linda Marie Nielsen, Vancouver, B.C. Molly's Prince by Rosa Nugent Carey. Chapter Thirty Seven: A Devout Lover a man he seems of cheerful yesterdays and confident to-morrows woodsworth i do perceive here a divided duty othello when waveney broke the news of molly's engagement to her friends at the red house the sisters only looked at each other with a meaning smile so that is the end of the comedy observed althea in an amused voice all's well that ends well eh dory of course we all knew how it would end that evening at the theatre to be sure we did returned doreen complacently nothing ever ruffled her placidity if people choose to be engaged or married it was their affair not hers doreen never envied them never drew unfavourable comparisons between her friends matrimonial bliss and her own single blessedness she had walked contentedly in maiden meditation fancy free all these years i was cut out for an old maid she would say sometimes laughingly to her sister the role just suits me you are different she once added looking rather wistfully at althea as she spoke yes replied althea frankly you and i are different people dory you are the happiest and most contented woman i know but a little pathetically i have not had all my good things and though she said no more doreen understood her it is very odd to think that pretty little molly ward is to be a connection of ours went on doreen when waveney had bidden them good-night waveney's heart was so full that she yearned to be alone in her pansy room and think over the day's excitement molly will be our cousin and as althea assented to this with a smile she continued i wonder what gwen will think of her new sister-in-law my dear dory i think i can answer that gwen will be charmed with her you know how much gwen thinks of beauty and where will you find a sweeter face than molly's then she is such a dear little unsophisticated thing ah gwen will lose her heart to her you may depend on that upon my word she went on i think moritz has not chosen so badly after all indeed for an idealist he has done very well for himself and i shall write and congratulate him most cordially molly will make a most fascinating little viscountess she will have much to learn of course but she will be no faint-hearted lady of burleigh sinking weakly under the burden of an honour into which she was not born finished althea with a little laugh and then as the old grandfather's clock in the hall struck ten doreen rang the bell for prayers althea did more than write 
her letter of congratulation she drove down all the way to cleveland terrace a day or two afterwards to see molly and wish her joy and she was so kind and sympathetic she praised moritz and said so many nice things about him that molly was ready to worship her for her tact and gentleness molly's pretty bloom was returning to her cheeks and on her left hand there was a splendid half hoop of diamonds she showed her ring to althea with a child's shy eagerness it is far too beautiful she said proudly but he did not buy it for me it belonged to that old relative who left him the property oh indeed returned althea with polite interest but there was an amused gleam in her eyes of course the ring had belonged to old lady ralston who had been a beauty and an heiress and whose diamonds had been the envy of all the dowagers at the county ball and then moritz had come in and interrupted them he was evidently taken aback at the sight of his cousin althea but her cordial welcome and her warm congratulations soon restored his equanimity and he was soon chatting to her and molly in his old light-hearted fashion molly was to go down to eastbourne the following week and the two girls were to be chaperoned by nurse helena molly was recovering her strength so fast that nurse helena's office was likely to be sincere but when althea pointed this out very gently to moritz he put his foot down very decidedly of course molly was getting better he said with an air of an autocrat and the sea breezes would soon set her up but how could his cousin althea imagine that two girls could be alone at a place like eastbourne the very idea shocked him as mr ward could not leave town except from saturday to monday he had insisted that nurse helena should be put in charge i shall run down myself every few days he finished and i suppose one has to study the proprieties then althea very wisely held her peace moritz went to the station to see them off the girls were in high spirits and molly who knew that she would see him again before many days were over could hardly sum up gravity enough to bid him good-bye it was moritz who looked melancholy london was a howling wilderness to him without his darling he had sent noel back to keep house with his father and he meant to go down to brentwood hall and seek consolation with gwen and her boy gwen would give him all the sympathy he demanded she was as romantic and unconventional as he was gwen dearly liked a lover she would listen patiently to all his discourse on molly's perfections and she would help him with the decorations and the refurnishing of the rooms that were to be got ready for his young wife moritz who had been such a patient wooer was now in hot haste to clinch his bargain molly startled and protesting had been carried away by his masterful eloquence 
and had signed away her freedom they were to be married in the middle of august and to spend their honeymoon at his shooting-box in the highlands the moorland air would be good for molly he said and they and the grouse would have it to themselves i don't hold with rushing about from place to place on one's wedding trip he observed to althea for he had his theories on this subject also when jack and gwen were married they went off to the austrian tyrol and heaven knows where besides but i know a thing or two better than that the hut is a cosy little place and there are some comfortable rooms in it i will send down murdoch he is a highlander and a handy fellow too and his wife is a capable woman to make things shipshape for a lady we will have a few days in edinburgh first and show molly holyrood and arthur's seat and she shall feast her eyes on the shops in prince's street for moritz remembered with lover-like accuracy molly's girlish penchant for shop windows moritz could be practical on occasion and he somewhat astonished althea when he took her into his confidence by his thoughtfulness for his young fiancée's comfort it was to his cousin althea that moritz entrusted the formidable but delightful task of ordering the trousseau gwen was too far from london to undertake such an onerous business he had already talked the matter over with mr ward and had wrung from him a reluctant consent even everard's pride and independence could not resist morris's urgent entreaties that a trousseau befitting molly's future rank should be provided at his expense but before this could be done molly must see her future home and be made aware of her splendid position and for this purpose it was arranged that when the month at eastbourne was over she should pay a visit to the red house and then moritz's long-deferred picnic to brentwood should take place althea had her own little plans which she did not impart to moritz although she had already talked them over with waveney you know my dear child she said seriously to her the evening before waveney started for eastbourne i have been thinking a great deal of you and molly and i have made up my mind to part with my dear little companion what can you mean asked waveney in a startled voice but she flushed uneasily i know i have been very little use to you lately and that i have neglected my duties shamefully but i was going to speak to you about that i want you to give me less money indeed indeed as althea looked extremely amused at this i am quite serious i have not earned my salary and i cannot take it it would not be honest and here waveney drew up her slight figure and looked very resolute why waveney my dear child remonstrated althea surely you are not going to disappoint me after all these months i thought we were such good friends you and i 
that we understood each other thoroughly and as the girl looked at her in dumb questioning she continued affectionately dear friends do not differ for a trifle or stand on their dignity what are a few pounds more or less compared to all you and molly have done for me how do you mean dear miss althea asked waveney quite taken aback at this i have done little enough i know and as for molly you have brought fresh interests into my life returned althea quietly you have given me two more human beings to serve and love yes she continued but her voice was not quite steady i am very fond of you and your pretty molly and it adds to my happiness to feel that i am any help or comfort to either of you comfort what should i have done without you replied waveney with emotion my own mother could hardly have been kinder and more patient then althea flushed slightly well then you will be a good child and let me finish what i have to say and then in her clear sensible way she explained her views about the future when molly married waveney would have to leave them it was impossible for her father and noel to do without her and waveney who had not taken this into consideration felt a sudden thrill of pain at the idea of leaving the red house as this was the case went on althea she and doreen both agreed it would be cruel to part her and molly during the few months that remained to them molly was coming to the red house for some weeks to do her shopping but when she went back to cleveland terrace waveney must go with her that is why i say that you and i must part my child finished althea gently i shall miss my bright companion sadly so sadly indeed that i never mean to have another but waveney your father has the first claim to your services i dare not deprive him of your society when molly has gone there we will not talk any more as she saw that waveney's eyes were full of tears think over what i have said when you are at eastbourne and take molly into your confidence i know she will say that i am right and indeed when waveney consulted her molly who was a very sensible little person fully endorsed queen bess's opinion of course i could not do without you darling she remarked with decision moritz she always said his name so prettily and shyly would not like me to be alone and as for father and noel they would be too uncomfortable with only that stupid anne to look after them and then waveney owned with a sigh that she and miss althea were right waveney took herself to task severely for her reluctance at leaving the red house was she guilty of loving the flesh-pots of egypt was her home to be less to her because molly would not be there waveney cried shame to herself 
because the thought of Anne's clumsiness fretted her, while the meagre housekeeping and all the pretty economies that had been Molly's share and were now to be shifted to her shoulders filled her with a sore distaste and loathing. She had grown to love the red house and every room in it, the luxury, the comfort, the perfection of the train service, the home-like atmosphere, the cultured society of the two sisters, and their wide work and sympathies all appealed strongly to Waveney's nature. Her life in the red house had been a liberal education. How much she had learnt there! And then the porch house Thursdays. But at this point in her reflections, Waveney checked herself abruptly. Too well she knew where the sting lay, and why the pain of leaving Erpingham would be so sharp and continuous. Only there could she enjoy the society of Mr. Chater, and she knew well that at Cleveland Terrace her Thursdays would be blank and sad. "'Wave, dear,' exclaimed Molly on that first evening, as they were together in their comfortable sitting-room looking out on the parade and the sea while nurse helena was busy in the room unpacking their boxes isn't this one of our dreams come true that you and i should be at the seaside together it was your dream not mine molly returned waveney in a teasing voice you were the dreamer in the old days i was far more prosaic and matter-of-fact and then she settled herself more comfortably against molly's couch there were your kitlands dream you know and a hundred others oh never mind kitlands replied molly with a touch of impatience in her voice that was a dear dream but of course it was too big and grand ever to come true but how often we used to make believe that we were going to the seaside don't you remember wave the little bow window parlor over the tinmans in high street that we used to take and the sea breezes that would meet us as we turned the corner and how we were always to have shrimps for tea and then molly laughed with glee but this is much better isn't it dear and she looked at the big cosy room that ingram had selected for their use they were like a pair of happy children that evening molly had insisted that she and waveney should share the big front bedroom and she was so wide awake and excited that she would have talked half the night only waveney sternly refused to be cajoled nurse helena has begged us not to talk she said and i feel i am on my honor no molly i will not be coaxed i am a woman of my word and i gave nurse helena my promise there shall be no pale cheeks for the black prince to see on saturday go to sleep like a good child and then molly consented to be silent it was a happy month and nothing occurred to mar their enjoyment they spent delightful mornings on the beach or parade. In the afternoon, 
while Molly had her siesta, Waveney and Nurse Helena wrote their letters, or enjoyed the books with which Ingram had provided them. After tea, when the evenings were fine and warm, they drove into the country, coming back to an early supper. Moritz always came down from Saturday to Monday, and put up at the hotel close by. Once he brought Mr. Ward with him, and another time it was Noel. And then, indeed, Molly's happiness was complete. Only one thing troubled Molly as the days went on. In spite of her high spirits, Waveney was not quite herself. She had silent fits at times. She was absent and distrait, and did not always hear what Molly said to her. And more than once, as they sat in the moonlight, looking at the silvery path across the dark sea, Molly had heard a suppressed sigh. There is something on her mind, something she is keeping to herself, thought Molly anxiously. And we have never, never had a secret from each other. It is not like my own wave to hide anything from me and I shall tell her so. And indeed, Molly was so tearful and pleading, so pertinacious in her questions, and so quick and clever in her surmises, that before they returned to the red house, Waveney's poor little secret, her unfinished story, was in Molly's keeping. Molly was full of tender sympathy. She cried bitterly over Waveney's description of that meeting by the river she quaked and shivered was hot and cold by turns with excitement of course he cares for you darling she said putting her arms round her sister's neck how can he help it oh it will all come right she continued cheerfully one day you will be as happy as we are what a pity he is so poor and proud. Men are so blind. It would be so much nicer to be engaged and wait. Oh, any number of years, went on Molly with womanly philosophy. But to this Waveney made no answer. Perhaps in her secret heart she was glad Molly knew. Never in their lives had they had a thought unshared by the other. But when Molly was alone, she made a naughty little mouche. How can she care for that plain old-looking man? She said to herself. Why, I should be frightened to speak to him. He looks so grave. Waveney is a hundred times too good for him. A noticeable man with large grey eyes, is not to my taste, went on Molly, with a blissful remembrance of her own dear Monsieur Blackie. End of chapter 27 Recording by Linda Marie Nielsen, Vancouver, B.C.